Welcome to episode number seven of Talking Mopars. I told you guys that for 2020, I would be introducing two special editions of the podcast, High Performance Heritage and Direct Connections. Well, folks, you're getting an early present from your buddy, the Mopar Hunter, this year. Today's show is the first High Performance Heritage episode. And for this episode, we are going to talk the birds and the bees of the A12 variety. That's right, folks. We're talking the special package mid-year Roadrunners and Super Bees. Don't worry. We're still going to have Project Car of the Week and listener stories, so buckle up. This is going to be a fun one. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter. And this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Happy holidays, you high-performance junkies. We are back for another fun-fueled episode, but this one is special. Today, we're going to be showcasing the A12 cars on the very first edition of High Performance Heritage. What are the A12 cars? We're going to get into that after Project Car of the Week and listener stories. But first, Talking Mopars continues to expand globally. This podcast has spanned the earth. So I want to say thank you to all the listeners from the following countries. The United States, Canada, Sweden, Australia, New Zealand, Germany, Poland, the United Kingdom, Norway, Brazil, Ireland, St. Martin, Austria, Switzerland, Denmark, Mexico, the Netherlands, Indonesia, Israel, India, France, and the Czech Republic. Thank you all for joining me right here on Talking Mopars. I still need you guys to share the show on social media. All you have to do is tell people to visit TalkingMopars.com. It's the easiest way to find the show and my contact information and all of that good stuff. So please help me spread the word by sending your friends to TalkingMopars.com. Also. I really enjoy your stories, so please keep sending them in. You can also send feedback to me at chris at talkingmopars.com. It's great to know that people are listening to the show and enjoying it and care enough to offer suggestions. I've been having people reach out to me and say, hey, Chris, love the show. This is what I think you should do. This is what I think you should talk about. This is who I think you should have on the show. So thank you to all those people who have reached out. I really appreciate it. I hear you. I've been getting your messages. I try to reply to them all. So if I haven't gotten back to you, feel free to send me another one and say, hey, what are you doing? I sent you a message. What's up? And I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Okay? So let's get this show on the road. This week's Project Car of the Week is really cool. Now, I want to play a little bit of a game. I don't want to tell you what the car is immediately. I want you to try to figure it out in a few seconds, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the VIN number. And for those new to cars, the VIN number is the VIN, which is Vehicle Identification Number, okay? These VIN numbers can tell us a lot about these old Mopars. So for the newbies, you're just going to have to kind of learn as you go. And for you veterans out there, you should be able to tell me what this car is based on the VIN number alone. So let's go over it. VIN number. RM21H9E151717. What do we have? This is where the Jeopardy theme would be playing, but unfortunately I don't have the rights to use that song, so you get silence. 
Okay, so you should have figured out RM21, that tells us it's a Plymouth Roadrunner two-door post car. H, that tells us it's a 383 car. 9 tells us it's a 1969. And E tells us it was built in Los Angeles. And 151717 tells us what number that car is. So here are some details about the car. It was originally Bahama Yellow. The interior was white. And it had a four-speed manual transmission. It's priced at $15,000. Let's read the ad. This 1969 Plymouth Roadrunner is a rare find for several reasons. First, it's a numbers-matching engine, four-speed transmission, and original fender tag car. Secondly, it was ordered with the A14 Spring Special option, which explains the unusual color combination of paint codes 99 and A37, the codes required for Bahama Yellow. Third, this Roadrunner comes with a white interior and black vinyl top. This car is in very good condition for an affordable restoration. Its floors and frame are solid, but the trunk pan center should be replaced. The body panels are straight, but they have some filler. The original engine needs a full rebuild, but it's complete. The car is being sold as is for just $15,000. If the buyer wants it restored, we can do that too. For instance, we could get this Roadrunner to a safe driver that just needs a paint job and an interior. This would include a rebuilt engine, new brakes, and a fuel system for $25,000. If the customer wants the interior fixed, the price would jump to $30,000. If a full, high-quality repaint was requested, new chrome, new badges, etc., the price would increase to approximately $55,000, will take about six months to build. These restored matching number four-speed cars are topping $50,000 with the right colors. Bahama Yellow is probably the most desirable color one can have on the 69 Roadrunner. This car is scheduled to have the engine rebuilt, if not sold soon. I think this is a really cool car. I think this is a really cool car. I think it has a lot of potential. And what I really think is cool is that this company that's offering this car is also giving you some baseline prices for different stages that you can get the car in. So I thought that was pretty cool. I was at a car show late in the summer this year, and I saw an A12 Bahama Yellow Roadrunner. And I, seeing the color in person, it's just, there's something about it that I really like. I don't know, maybe it's just so different. I don't know what it is, but this car is really cool. I think it has a lot of potential. It actually, if you look at it, it's got the kind of a the old school psychedelic style paint job on it. I don't know, maybe it's not really psychedelic. It's got that old school like paintwork on it where you, you know, it's got like the graphics and the different shapes and whatnot. So that's kind of cool. But I, I like the fact that it's a four-speed car. I like the fact that it's a 383. You know, I don't mind that it's kind of a, you know, the bare-bones car. I don't mind that at all. I think it's cool. Um, the two-door post, I'm more of a hard-top guy. I like being able to roll the windows down, but that's all right. I live with it. It's a little different. But I think what you have here for $15,000 is a good starter to rebuild or, you know, pay these guys some money and get it rebuilt to your liking. I think that's really cool that they offer that. I don't see too many ads where the people are like, hey, you can buy this car as is for this price, but, you know, for this price, we'll do this for you. I really like that this company is offering that. Now, who is this company? This is kind of an interesting story because I had a friend on social media reach out to me. His name's Dylan. Shout out to you, Dylan. He reached out to me and said, Basically, that he was in Colorado and saw this really cool lot with these really cool cars. So he sent me some pictures 
and some information about where the location was and all that. And the cars were really cool, and I thought, oh, I'm going to follow up on this. Well, one thing led to another, and I never actually followed up on it. But I'm Mopar hunting recently, and I start seeing these cars, and the backgrounds of the images kind of looked similar. So I did some digging, found out that there is a company in Denver, Colorado, and it happened to be the same company that Dylan had mentioned. That company is Sonoff's Master Garage, one of the coolest businesses I've run across in hunting Mopars because they have such a giant collection of really cool project cars. It also helps that they have a really cool logo. If you look at their logo, it is awesome. I want it on a t-shirt, so I'm going to have to reach out to these guys. Speaking of which, I have. And I'm trying to get the owner of this company on the show to talk about this business. That's how much of an impact what I was seeing had on me. I went to the website. I was looking at these project cars. Man, I don't know how long I was on the website, but I was there for a while just looking at all the project cars that these guys have. And it is amazing. So if you get some time, I want you to go to sonifs.com. That's S-O-N-E-F-F-S dot com and check out the project cars that they have. It is, I mean, I could only dream about having the amount of project cars that they have, which would never happen because I, I just don't, I don't have those abilities to hunt down that many cars. I'm not that resourceful, apparently, because I'm looking at these cars and I'm like, where did he find that? <laughs> you know, these guys are masters. I was really impressed by what I saw and I'm going to do everything I can to get these guys on the show to talk about their business and all these amazing cars that they've, they've collected and that they have that they're offering to the public for sale. So. If you if you like the Mopar Hunter and you like going on there and seeing cars for sale, project cars, whatnot, Mopars, you're going to love this website. So check out all their cars and tell me what you think, because I think it's really cool. A lot of the cars are priced right, and they, they just have some really cool cars. I could sit here, I could have a five-hour episode just going over each of the project cars that they have for sale. That's how amazing this place is. Now, they also have a YouTube channel. And if you want to see that, just go to YouTube and look up Sonoff's Master Garage, Inc. They have videos of a lot of these project cars, and they have a 100% original 1970 Plymouth Superbird that is crazy cool. So you can see that on their YouTube and on their website as well, I believe. So go check these guys out. I'm really excited to try to get them on the show and talk Mopars. I want to know how they're sourcing these cars, where they're getting them, because this is really cool. They have, I mean, they have some really cool stuff. But back to the Roadrunner, like I said, I think it's a, I think it's a good car. I think it's got a ton of potential, and it's Bahama Yellow. That's really cool. Four-speed car, that's always a plus. So go to Sonoff's, check out the, pro I can't say it enough. Just go there, check out everything they have. Like I said, you're probably going to be there for a minute. And when you're done, come back and listen to some more episodes of Talking Mopars, all right? So that's Project Car of the Week. Let's get into listener stories. This week's listener story was sent in from Ray DeCoin. Hi, Chris. I'd like to share my story with you. So here goes. 
I bought my first Mopar in the summer of 94, a 1970 340 Swinger, EV2 with black vinyl roof, black hood scoops, and stripe. Like your dad's deep dish craggers. 50s in rear, skinnies in front. In my opinion, it was badass. I purchased it for 1600 bucks with a tired motor. It did not run. The interior and exterior was super clean. Now I had to get it running quickly because I sold my daily to buy and build the motor. I had a week. Begged a local machine shop to rush my motor through. $2,200 was a steal. A fresh rebuild. 30 over, 10.5 forged pistons and rings. Mopar purple camshaft, dual plane manifold with a 750 Holly. 727 column shift, 8 and 3 quarter, 391 sure grip. Long story short, got it done on time and was able to drive back to work after my vacation. The dart was now my daily, 90 miles a day. Not such a bad ride when you're in a cool Mopar. Well, not long after, my wife and I received the news. We were having another child. Well, with two little ones, I sold the car reluctantly to use a down payment on my first house. I literally cried as I watched the new owner drive away. I knew then it was going to be a while before I'd be able to have a car that cool for a long time. New house, two kids, a wife. Ha, yeah right, hot rods? Life said nope. Through the years, I was lucky enough to try again, but every time I had to sell them. Heartbreak. I'm in a commuter car for life. Ah! It took me over 20 years to actually finish one. A 1979 Pro Street Malibu. Built over two years for only 2500 bucks. Sold it for 5500 Now I'm shopping for a Mopar. I didn't care what kind at the time. I came across a 1940 Chrysler Gasser Roller. I had to. It was cool. I'm back. Mopar or no car. So I began building Cruella. Now, in the meantime, my Jeep was begging for a V8. I knew there was a Ram Charger with a 360 on Craigslist. So while searching, I come across an ad for a 1970 340 Swinger EV2, etc. I'm like, no way, can't be. I'm blowing up the pictures. Holy crap, it's mine. My dart. I immediately called the guy and verified, indeed, it's my car. I told the guy my story, blew my bargaining out the window. I didn't care. Crying with joy, I'm now frantically trying to figure out how I'm going to pull this off. I was losing it. So boom, Chrysler for sale, Jeep for sale. Both sold amazingly in 36 hours. I was getting messages from friends and family asking if everything was okay. I wouldn't tell them. I told them the story would be better later. 9 p.m. on a Thursday night to buy my girl back. She was really in a barn and gutted, stripped, but it was mine. Basically got a shell back. I'm slowly attempting my first restoration. I'm in no rush. I just about have both quarter panels done. Next, the floor. I call her bad habit. She came back just like one. I always said I'd give my right arm to have it back. A tattoo of her on my arm for life. Now, while all this was going on, I came across a 1967 Coronet Roller. Full roll cage, Dana 60, it's pretty wicked. I scored a 447.27 out of a 69 Rec GTX, which now lives in the Duchess. She'll be getting a white paint job, and I'm making it look like a super stock car. So no Mopar to two of them. Thank you, Lord. I am completely nuts for all things Mopar. Thanks for letting me ramble. There are so many other details that I'm including my phone number if you ever want to BS about it. Thanks, Chris. Best regard, Ray DeCoin. Thanks for sharing your story, Ray. Wow. It's amazing how that works. It's like fate. You know what I mean? You just happen to be looking for a V8 for your Jeep, and you run across your old car. Talk about the right place, the right time. You know, you had to 
make some things happen, you sold a couple cars, that's cool. That tells me how much you love that dart. And the fact that you got it back, man, I've never experienced that feeling, but I can only imagine. You know, my dad built a 75 Dodge van, a boogie van back in the day. He actually sold, he traded in his dart because the van craze was, you know, booming in the mid 70s. So he traded in his dart, bought this cargo van, this Dodge, and built it pretty much from the ground up. And that is one vehicle that I wish I could find for my dad. I've tried, I've looked everywhere, but it's nowhere to be found. But if I ever see that van, I'm buying it. (laughs) I have a lot of memories of that van, and I hope it's not rotting in a wrecking yard somewhere. But I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep my eyes open. But hey, Ray, thank you so much for sharing your story, buddy. It's a good one. Keep me posted on Bad Habit and the Duchess. I really want to see those projects get done. I can't wait to see them. Thanks, buddy. All right, folks, we've made it to the main event. On this first edition of High Performance Heritage, we are talking A12, M-Code, Plymouth Roadrunners, and Dodge Super Bs. Midway through 1969, Chrysler released the street racer package known in the world of Mopar as the A12. This package was only offered on Dodge Super Bs and Plymouth Roadrunners. Now, Chrysler didn't want to openly say that this was a factory car set up for brutal straight-line acceleration. They chose to market this package as a move to help sustain sales to the youth enthusiast market, the same youth enthusiast market that they targeted with the 1968 Roadrunner that we talked about on Episode 1. What is the A12 package? First, let's go over how to identify a real A12 car, and then we'll get into what features an A12 car was actually equipped with. A12 packages were added to standard Super Bs and Roadrunners. The Fender tag will show you sales code E36, which is the standard 383 engine, but with the A12 code added on the Fender tag, that means that the A12 package was applied to the vehicle. If you're looking at a Fender tag of a Roadrunner or a Super B in 1969 and you see A12, then we're on the right track. So the other way we can verify an A12 car is by checking the VIN. Now, if you remember from Project Car of the Week earlier in today's episode, we talked about the fifth digit being H on that Roadrunner, which told us it was a 383. Well, on the A12 cars, the fifth digit in the VIN would be an M, which designates this car as a 440 with three two-barrel carburetors. So we call that a six-pack for Dodges and a six-barrel for Plymouth. That's one thing you'll hear in the Mopar community. You'll get the real sticklers for this kind of stuff. I don't mind as much, but if you're spewing from the mouth a bunch of incorrect stuff, then I think it's a a correction is warranted. But if we're just talking Mopars and you say the wrong thing, I'm not going to hound you over it. But if you go saying that, you know, you had a Plymouth Roadrunner with a six-pack and you keep saying it, we might have to stop you and say, hey, you mean six-barrel, sir. So, we refer to the three two-barrel carburetors as a six-pack when it's in a Dodge and a six-barrel when it's in a Plymouth. So, keep that in mind. So, if there is an A12 sales code on your fender tag and an M as the fifth digit of the VIN, you have yourself the real deal. A12 cars had 440s, but not just any 440. This particular 440 was a heavy breather 
due to the three two-barrel Holley carburetors that we talked about. This carburetor setup only utilized the 350 CFM two-barrel carburetor in the middle of the six-pack, but, or six-barrel, depending on what you got, we already went over that. (laughs) So, when you're driving Miss Daisy and you're just cruising along, you're only utilizing the center carburetor, which is only 350 CFM, which is nothing. It's not pushing very much air. But when you wanted to party and you hit that that fun pedal, the 500 CFM carburetors on either end of the pack came to life and sent you right into the seat. And when running at wide open throttle, these babies flowed at a whopping 1,375 CFM. CFM, that's cubic feet per minute for those of you that are new to the basics of airflow. Remember, this podcast is friendly to beginners, so if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I welcome with open arms those who want to learn, but please understand, (laughs) I'm not an expert, folks. I just know very little about a lot. (laughs) So, You know, every once in a while, I'm going to throw out little tidbits of information. And if the thought crosses my mind that, oh, maybe somebody doesn't know what this is, I'm going to try to school them a little bit. Now, some of you are probably going, CFMs, we've known about CFMs since before you were born, youngster. Hey, that's okay. We're just trying to, we're a community, we're a friendly community, and we want the new people to feel welcome. Okay? So let's relax a little bit. All right? So let's get back into it. This high-performance multi-carburetor setup sat on top of an Edelbrock aluminum intake manifold. And an interesting fact is that these cars ended up being so hot on the sales lot that Edelbrock was actually having trouble keeping up with the production demand for these manifolds. It's crazy. And I believe that these manifolds were actually the first OE-offered Edelbrock manifolds from a manufacturer. I'm not quite sure if that's 100% accurate, but that's what I heard. Let's get into the internals of this engine. The rotating assembly was specially modified for the brute power that these engines produced. So you get a forged crank, magnafluxed rods, a low taper camshaft sharing the same specs as the tried and true 440 Magnum, flat-faced valve lifters, hemi valve springs, chrome-flashed valve stems, molly-filled rings, a dual-point distributor for playing in the higher RPM range, Hemi oil pump, because you want to keep it lubricated, heavy-duty rocker arms, and a 26-inch radiator to keep things cool. Okay, transmission choices were either the 727 Torque Flight Automatic on the column or on the console, or the same 18-spline A833 four-speed found in the Hemi-equipped cars. This, look, this car was nothing more than a race car produced for the streets. <laughs> It was a it was a wild beast, folks. If you are familiar with A12s, you know how cool they are. If you are not, familiarize yourself with them because they are they are really really cool and right up there with in, in my top five Mopars, my top five favorite Mopars of all time. You have the wing cars, the A12 cars, and then man, gosh, I'm gonna do an episode on my top Mopars. Like my top, should I do top five or top ten? There's so many, I don't know. Squeezing all my favorites into five, that would be too hard. I think I think we'll do an episode on my top ten favorite Mopars of all time. And then maybe you can share your favorite Mopars of all time with me. But 
the A12s are definitely towards the top of my list because they are just so cool. But let's get back into them. Picture a Super B or a Roadrunner and think of the factory hood flying off that thing because these cars didn't have the factory steel boat anchor of a hood. What they did is they pinned on a special blacked out liftoff fiberglass hood with a huge air grabbing scoop. Yes, I said pinned on. They ditched the heavy hood hinges and used hood pins on all four corners to keep the lightweight hood anchored to the cars. Because these things were blistering fast, so you don't have that thing pinned down and it's, it's see you later. <laughs> you know what I mean? That thing's flying and flipping through the air. So this hood features either six-pack or 446-barrel logos on the sides of the scoop. So this car, I mean, driving down the road, these cars, you see this car coming, it's got a flat black hood with big beastly nostrils coming at you, and you're just going, whoa, what do we have here? (laughs) These cars were just, I mean, for lack of a better term, they were badass. That's all there is to it. These cars were so purpose-built that the air filter was actually exposed to everything that the enormous air hole of a scoop sucked in, which could be considered really reckless on behalf of Chrysler or really, really hardcore for those who have one goal in mind. Tire shredding, speed law breaking, quarter mile destroying performance. Well, I mean, for those days, (laughs) the A12s were actually only 13 second cars, but from my research, In a test from Drag Racing Magazine, Ronnie Sox broke into the high 12s at 111 miles an hour in a four-speed A12 Roadrunner. But, you know, that's that's also professional drag racer Ronnie Sox, who, in case you didn't know, he makes up half of the legendary Sox and Martin duo of drag racing fame, and he was likely running slicks, and who knows what other tricks were implemented in achieving that time. You know, he's a professional drag racer and well-versed in the world of Mopar, so I'm sure he had some tricks up his sleeve to lower that ET. To keep the minimalistic character of these cars on point, the cars were offered with 15x6 black steel wheels with no caps or covers and chrome-plated lug nuts wrapped in Goodyear Red Streak G70-15s. So these cars, when you're looking at these cars, you see a black hood with a giant scoop, and you see black steel wheels with chrome lug nuts and red streak tires. That, to me, that just has run what you brung all over it. You know what I mean? These cars were nothing less than factory-offered straight-line performance machines. These things weren't meant for going to the grocery store. These things were meant to go in a straight line and do it very quick. To keep all this power in line was a Dana 69 and three-quarter rear end with 410 gears, a sure grip differential, and big ol' 11-inch drum brakes. Drum brakes? What about discs? Nope. We like to live dangerously, folks. No disc brakes were offered, only giant drum brakes, okay? The suspension was the same factory drag racing setup from the Hemi option cars, too. So any claim from Ma Mopar that these were not race cars was simply tire smoke and rear view mirrors, okay? Lies. <laughs> These cars were race cars. And, you know, they... Chrysler knew that kids were buying these cars and racing them. Preferably on the track, but back in the lawless 
60s and 70s, we all know what was going on. These kids were running these cars on the street. These cars were hot. But if you wanted air conditioning, in your dreams. These cars weren't meant for comfort. They were meant for the quarter mile. But, in case you're in a rainstorm, three-speed wipers were actually standard for the A12s. That's I found that out, and I was actually surprised I didn't know that. The A12 package would give a street Hemi car a run for the money at nearly half the cost. The Hemi option was like 800 and something, and the A12 package was like 400 and something, or 300 and something. Personally, it's like, okay, you could have the Hemi. Like, this is the ultimate debate for me. Would I rather have the 446 pack or the 426 Hemi? I guess it all depends on the car, really. But in 1969, whether it was a Super B or a Roadrunner, what would I rather have, a Hemi or the A12 package Super B or Roadrunner? I would go with the A12 just because... Show me the Hemi car with the liftoff hood. That's what I thought. Doesn't exist. <laughs> you know, unless we're talking 68 Superstock darts and Barracudas. That's that's a whole different... That car was not street legal, folks. It was not sold to be used on public roads. But I think we covered most of the important things that make these birds and bees really fly. Production numbers on these cars seem to vary slightly, but what I can tell you for sure is that way less than 4,000 of these units were produced in total. The number is actually closer probably to less than 3,500, and far less exists today. The actual number of cars that were available in Canada, of the A12 cars, is actually unknown, as far as I know. So if you know, let me know. But as far as I know, that number is unknown. But these are special cars, and two of my favorite Mopars of all time. If I had to choose one, it would probably be, no pun intended, the Dodge Super B. I'm not too sure on the color, but I never saw a green Mopar I didn't like. I really like F6. That's bright green. Um, and of course, I'll take mine with the four on the floor. Thanks. <laughs> but that's pretty much it for the A12s. I really hope that you enjoyed the first edition of High Performance Heritage, and we'll be back next week to close out 2019. Until then, I am Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.